Welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Derek with the message. Many of you will recognize this passage, but I want to begin uh, by reading a passage of Scripture from Isaiah chapter 9 to you. And you'll recognize this. It's, for, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. How many of you recognize that verse? Many of you have heard that before, right? You know, it goes on Christmas cards, you know, you, you, it's, it's this season we, we read this. And the reason we read this passage so often in this season is because it's a prophecy of Messiah Jesus coming, right? And we, we sort of look forward to this thing. And, and so there's this passage that we read all the time. And yet one of the real significant things in this passage is this word peace, right? Prince of peace. And his peace will have no end, Right? Uh, There will be no end to his peace. But I wonder today, how many of you feel like you have all the peace you need? Maybe you feel like, man, I'm just overflowing. Peace is just in abundance. Let the record show no hands went up. How is it that we get into this season where we're supposed to celebrate peace and yet So many of us are overwhelmed with expectations of parties to go to and people to see and presents to buy and meals that we have to make and meals we have to eat. I have no problem with meals I have to eat. Maybe I have too much of a problem with meals I have to eat. And yet we get into this season where we're supposed to celebrate peace and it's lacking. If no hand went up saying we had enough peace here, how many hands do you think went up outside? Nobody. And this is like a normal year, right? We find a season where peace is lacking in a normal year. Throw onto it two years of a pandemic, racial division and upset, political issues. And what we find is this boiling cauldron of stress and anxiety. Anybody feel stressed or anxious? Way more hands. Way more hands. The rest of you, I don't know what you're feeling right now. Maybe we'll find out before this is over. Is there any way, and this is what I want to talk about today, is there any way for us to find a peace that rises above all of the circumstances that we experience? Is there any place we can find a peace that happens independent of the experience that we've had over the past two years? And I would say that the answer is yes, and that's what I want to talk about today. We began this series last week uh, for Advent called One Star, One Hope. And Advent, as I told you last week, is this uh, season in the church calendar where we remember that Jesus has come. As we look forward in hope for Jesus to return again. And so we do this in preparation for Christmas as we remember that Jesus has come. And so we spend this season 
thinking through these themes of hope, like we talked about last week, that Jesus is our only hope. And today I'm going to talk about peace and, and how true peace is found in God's presence. And I'm calling today's message, Peace for Every Season. Peace for Every Season. Would you pray with me before we open Scripture? And so, Lord, I do just, I'm just so thankful that you come and, and you meet us, God. That in this season where chaos abounds, God, we can come into your presence and find peace. And so, Lord, as we open your word, I pray, <clears throat> Lord, that you would speak through me. God, that you would put your words in my mouth. And I pray, God, that what would result today is peace. God, that we would experience your peace. Come into this place in greater measure, God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So here's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at Luke chapter 1. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 1. And we're going to begin in verse 26. You know, one of the advantages to keeping track, I realized that I talked about this passage last year. Um, I, keep, I keep a calendar, but turns out, like I told you guys last week, this Advent stuff, the same things, the same themes come up every year, right? We're going to look at Luke chapter 1. Beginning in verse 26, and here's what we read. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. You know, I don't know about you, there are a lot of stories in the Bible that I find to be fairly normal kind of stories, right? They went here, they ate this meal, they hung out, they, you know, whatever. This is not a normal story. I don't know if you've realized that. This is not a normal story. In, I mean, I'm not that old, but in all my years, <laughs> I have never found another person who said, hey, I'm pregnant, it's God's baby. It's great news, had this angel show up and told me all about it, right? Those people, I think, usually are in certain homes, right? Like, this is not a normal story. And so we read this story, but there's something even more uncommon than the fact that a girl says an angel told her she was pregnant with God's baby. And I want to explain it before I tell you what it is. In the Old Testament... Women were, I mean, I'm sorry, women, I've, told, I've apologized for this about every time it comes up, 
But in biblical times, women were more akin to property than whole people. And so in the, in the first century, a woman would be cared for in her father's house until she was given to a husband who would then care for her in, her, in their house. And so in the first century, this was like the big hope for any woman was to be able to grow up, be married, and have kids. This is like the big hope. This is winning at life, right? And so the, that's the favorable outcome. Now, in a first century marriage, it didn't happen the way it happens now. I've said this at some of the weddings that I've done. People didn't get married for love like they do now, right? We love each other so much that we want to get married. In the first century, it was more akin to a business transaction between families. So the husband would come to the, the bride's uh, family, and they would arrange a price. The husband would pay the price for the wife that he was going to have. The father of the bride would accept that price, and then they would sign an agreement, okay? Paperwork gets signed. We've done the deal. You're married. Except we didn't write move in. A year goes by in customary first century Jewish families. So we've paid, we've signed, we're legally married, except we don't live together for a year. Each person goes to their own family's house, and for a year, the husband now makes arrangements for their house, whether it's building a property or, you know, I mean, we're not talking about like Sinking Valley or anything like that. We're not building, you know what I mean, big house. We're talking about creating arrangements for, for the husband and the wife to live for about a year. During this time, they're legally married. So finding someone else or sleeping with someone else is considered adultery outside of marriage, punishable in the Old Testament by stoning to death. So if you think about what's happening here, as Mary has been told, I mean, she's on the up and up, right? She's pledged to be married to Joseph. You know, this is, I'm probably about 20 years old, future's looking bright, going to be married, going to provide some kids. This is like the best you could hope for until Gabriel shows up and says, I'm going to wreck your life, which is a lot of times, I don't know about you, but is that how it works for you? Like God just sort of shows up and it's like, hey, I'm going to wreck your life a little bit, right? It's a little bit uncomfortable, and yet it's always better. But Gabriel shows up to Mary and says, you're going to be pregnant with God's baby. Now, I don't know about you, you know, but you probably can't cover this up. Can you imagine how much shame a 20-year-old girl who was pledged to be married, all the papers have been signed, the money's been exchanged, and now she's pregnant. If she were able to survive and not get killed, let's say they just had mercy and grace and abundance on her, and they didn't kill her, for sure Joseph is going to be like, I'm out, sign a letter of divorce, send her away. Now she's damaged goods, and her life is wrecked. This is like the, the, the world that they're living in. Do you see this? And yet, the thing I said a minute ago that's even more uncommon than the story is the peace that Mary demonstrates in the middle of what is certainly a mess of a life. Like, think about it just for a minute. Like, we have the end of the story. We know how it all turns out, right? Like you can keep reading past Luke chapter 1 and you see that it works out for her, right? But imagine you're Mary in this place and the angel says you're going to be pregnant. How do you cover that up? 
And what do you make of the rest of your life? What if you're just crazy? Her life has effectively, by Gabriel, been ruined. And yet she has peace. An uncommon peace. I mean, think about it too. She lives in the city of Nazareth. I mean, we're talking small town. You guys know small towns? Like, we moved from Columbus. Millions of people? Close to a million people? Altoona, 46,000 people. This feels a lot like a small town to me. There are smaller towns around. You know how it works in a small town. Hey, everybody. Mary, pregnant. It's the milkman's baby, right? She says it's from God. She's, you know, that's what they all say, right? <laughs> this is small town Nazareth. Like, this is like, you know, the, there's no college there. You know, this is just like small town. You maybe have a grocery store. I'm kidding. There's no grocery store. But do you see what I'm saying? The dynamics here are really not going to work well for her. And yet she has peace. And the reason this feels so uncommon to us is because we don't understand biblical peace. We don't understand biblical peace. See, a lot of times we think of peace as having the right circumstances, don't we? Like when you think about your life, we think, if I could just get away from all the negativity in my life, right? If I could just have no conflict, then I would have peace. Don't we think about it that way? We think about like, think about the season that you're in. Man, if I could just get through the holiday season, my life is going to be normal again. You know, the store hours of the place I work, they're going to go back to normal. So I'm not having to, you know, miss all the things. If I can just get through the semester and my finals can finish, I'll get through finals. I'll, you know, things will become normal again. Or, or if we think about, if I can just get through that project at work, right? Have you ever said this? Is this like a thing that you say, you know, if I can just get through the weekend everything will be okay. If I can just get through, if I can just get to this day, everything will be okay. And what we're saying is the circumstances that we're living in are not sustainable. And rather than taking some steps to change the way we live such that we could have peace in the midst of our circumstances, we just wish that one day the calendar would just change, right? The downside of trying to think this way, right, is that every week has another list of stuff, doesn't it? Every time, you know, you get through Christmas and you're like, phew, glad that's done. Oh, there's the, the New Year's party. And then there's, you know, there's Valentine's Day and then there's Easter, right? There's always another holiday, right? There's always another project. There's always another semester. There's always another test. There's always another, my yard never stops growing, right? If I just get through the weekend and get all the projects done, it never happens, we don't take steps to, to change the way we live, so we keep on going just the way we've always gone, and we just sort of, we said last week, right, we used the word hope as the same as wish. We just sort of hope that one day it'll all just change, and maybe someday we'll have peace, and we keep living at the breakneck speed that we live. Think about it in terms of your relationships. We find ourselves avoiding hard conversations that we need to have, and we just wish they would go away, don't we? Doesn't everybody probably, most of you have some hard conversation that you really don't want to have. You know you probably should, but I'm going to avoid it, and maybe the problem will just go away. Don't we do that? And we just sort of like avoid the conversation because we think if we don't engage the conflict, we're going to have peace. 
I'll have peace as long as maybe they'll forget and I'll forget and we can all forget and everything will be better, right? And so we just sort of go and, and hope that the, the, the life circumstance will change and we avoid the hard stuff. That's how we think about it, right? Rather than go about actively changing the circumstances and pressing into the things that make us uncomfortable, we say, well, I'm going to have peace by avoiding the things that make me uncomfortable. And before you think I'm just telling you how y'all are wrong, I do the same thing. Don't we all just sort of do the same things? We avoid the hard conversations? You know, like we don't actually go to mom and dad and talk about how the way they, their attitudes and the way that they live their lives actually affects the family. We don't want to press into that because, right, don't we all have that family member that just is a little bit too much? And so just don't say anything. If you don't know it, maybe you're it. You're like, no, my family doesn't have that. You're probably the one that everybody tiptoes around and is afraid to talk to. Don't we have that? I mean, we have those things, right? And then the way that you find out that your family has those is you get married, right? Those of you who are married, you know this, right? You bring your spouse home and they're like, why is your dad like that? Don't say anything. Why is your mom that way? Shh, we don't talk about that. Don't we do that? And we hope we can find peace by avoiding the hard conversation, don't we? Or we avoid the conversation with our friend about how their social media habits are ruining our friendship and how their social media habits are alienating them from all the people who care about them. Because we're like, well, maybe they'll just stop someday. Maybe it'll all get better and we'll have peace that way. I'm not going to say it because it's conflict and if I don't say it, maybe we'll have peace. Or right, maybe we have the, the spouse and the spending habits, right? And I know they're just spending like crazy, but maybe they'll stop and everything will be better. And we just sort of wish that things would change, right? Or the, the friend or family member who's wrecking the family with their alcohol and drug habit, and nobody wants to talk to them about it because everybody wants to keep the peace. Do you find yourself in any of these? We avoid the hard conversations. This is not biblical peace, this is embracing brokenness and calling it peace. This is deciding that brokenness is as good as it'll ever get. And it's saying, whatever walled-off area that I've created, I've distanced myself from those people to keep the negativity away because I want to keep the peace. And we wall off a section of our life and we say, this is as far as peace goes. It's not biblical peace at all. Biblical peace is actually wholeness, completeness, things being as they ought to be. The Old Testament word is shalom. You guys probably have heard that word at some level. The idea that all things, complex things, have become whole and complete. It's so important that we, I mean, it's, it's a refusal. Do you see this? It's a refusal to accept that brokenness is the end of the story. It's a refusal to say, well, this is as good as it'll ever get, and I'm just going to be happy with this. It's a desire for God's kingdom to come fully. Do you see this? It's so important that we've made it one of our church's core values. We pursue wholeness with authenticity. We in this church refuse to accept brokenness as the end of the story because we don't see it in God's story. We, refuse, we, we acknowledge that there's brokenness, which, which is why authenticity is important. We don't think that's the end of the story. We believe that God intends to make all things new. Biblical peace demands that we press 
into the broken spaces with the hope. I forget which song it was, but you guys, that song that you said, like Jesus seeing through, all the way through to the end, right? There's this idea of going all the way through brokenness until we reach restoration, until we reach reconciliation, until we reach wholeness. This is the idea. This is peace, is that we go through brokenness and come out on the other side whole. That's biblical peace. Here's the rub, if you haven't identified it yet. That's a scary thought, isn't it? How many of you want to run into brokenness? Most of us shy away from it. In fact, it's kind of natural, isn't it? We all want to avoid pain, right? We teach our kids, don't put your hand on the stove, it'll hurt, right? We want to avoid pain. And unless you have the Spirit of God directing you, empowered by God, you can't walk through that. You can't do it. You won't do it. And yet, it's the invitation of Jesus. Is it not? The invitation of Jesus is to wholeness, is to real peace. It's, it's not to negative peace where we've shied away from things, but it's that we've come all the way through and things are as God intended. That's the pursuit. Because true peace isn't found in having the right circumstances. True peace is found in God's presence. Verse 34, when Gabriel told Mary that her circumstances were going to be turned upside down. Here's what happens. She says, how will this be since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. This picture that Gabriel paints is as if a cloud descended over Mary and covers her. Almost certainly hearkening back to Exodus where the Israelites were led by the presence of God in the form of a cloud that it was God's presence that will lead her. And because it's God leading and directing this adventure Mary is going on, she experiences peace even before wholeness comes. You see all the way through this that she experiences peace even in the midst of it. And here's the point. You can have peace in any circumstance if it's God's presence that's leading you. Because true peace comes in God's presence. That's where we find actual peace. It's in, in God's presence. And the beautiful thing is, you can experience this before wholeness comes. You can experience peace before things are all made new, as long as you're in God's presence. I want to tell you a story uh, that sort of illustrates this. Some of you may know this story. Have you heard the name Horatio Spafford? How many of you have heard the name Horatio Spafford? handful of you. Horatio Spafford was an attorney in the 1800s uh, in Chicago area. He was an elder in his Presbyterian church, and uh, he was a friend of D.L. Moody. Have you heard that name? Uh, famous evangelist, famous preacher. And uh, so uh, Horatio Spafford had a wife, Anna, and he had four daughters. And so 18, he was well invested in, uh, in uh, property and real estate. Well, 1871 happened, the Great Chicago Fire, and it burned up much of his, his investment. And so in the following couple of years, they, they tried to build things back and begin to, to recover from all of this loss. And so uh, Horatio Spafford and his wife and his family planned this vacation to Europe. And so they planned this vacation 1873 in November, and they're going to go 
to, to Europe, and right before they're about to get on the boat, business comes up. Oh, zoning stuff, you know how it is. I'm working with government folks, and I'm trying to get the, the, the permits and all that stuff. So Horatio Spafford stays back. His wife, his four daughters go. They go to Europe. They're going to listen to their friend D.L. Moody preach in Europe. And so he runs back, and while they're on their way, another ship hits his wife's boat, sinks the boat. All four daughters die. She clings to a scrap of wood, survives. When she gets to Europe, she sends a telegram back to Horatio Spafford and it says, saved alone. Of course, Horatio Spafford drops everything and he gets on a boat and he's going to go. And as, he, as they're crossing the Atlantic Ocean, they get to this place. The captain comes and they, he grabs him and brings him up to the bridge and says, we've carefully plotted and we believe now we're over the spot where the boat sank. So he went back to his room and he, he begins in the, in the greatest trauma of his life, he begins to write and he writes these words. He writes, when peace, like a river, attendeth my way, when sorrows, like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And he writes a song that has brought peace and hope and comfort to so many in the midst of the greatest trauma he could imagine. And the thing that he learned is that true peace is found in God's presence. That it's not about circumstances. Worse circumstances maybe than any of us could imagine. Peace is found in God's presence. Friend, you may be in the midst of the worst circumstances of your life. You may have lost somebody. You're getting ready to go be with family and it's just not a great experience for you to be with family. Whatever circumstance you're facing... You can have peace because you can have God's presence. God's presence is the source of peace. So how do we move from a place of depending on circumstance for peace to moving into a place of having an eternal peace? I want to take off three, three things that we see in this passage, and then we'll, we'll wind it up. The first thing, verse 32, anchor yourself in the promises of Scripture. Verse 32 says, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. The angel Gabriel, when he's explaining to Mary that she's going to be pregnant, I mean, he could just show up and say, you're going to be pregnant, right? But he doesn't do that. What he says is, this is a fulfillment of promises from the Old Testament. This is a fulfillment of prophecy that has been spoken. He cites places in the Old Testament where God made promises. And then he says this, verse 37. He says, for no word from God will ever fail. The point he's trying to make is, the one who made these promises is faithful and will make good on them. If you don't have a regular time, a regular space, a regular habit of reading and understanding the promises of God, you're giving away one of your greatest weapons against stress and anxiety. If you don't have a space where I can go and I can meditate and remember the promises of God, you really are laying down all the weapons that you have. You're saying, well, I'm just, you know, 
Things will just get better. I don't need that. But over and over and over, if you read Scripture, what you find is God makes a promise, and He makes good on it. He makes a promise, and He makes good on it. And the places where He has made promises where they've not yet been fulfilled, you will find if you read through this, that there's this drumbeat happening of promise and fulfillment, such that your faith and your trust that God can bring things to the right conclusion grows. You need a regular habit of understanding the promises of God and understanding that He's faithful. One of my favorites, and I mean, all of these come in maybe some of your hardest times in your life. One of my favorites is Romans 8, 28. Many of you will know this passage. It's, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. When you understand this verse in context of God fulfilling promises all the time. I can face any circumstance, and no matter how bad or how bleak it looks, I know that he's going to work it out. This is the value of regular time in Scripture. You need a regular time in Scripture. That means when things go crazy and it doesn't look like it's going to work out for me, I might have questions but I do know that the end of the story, I know that God is faithful and he will come through on his promises. It brings you peace in the midst of circumstance. Second thing, thank God for what you know he has done. Thank God for what you know he has done. Verse 36 says, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. Again, Gabriel could have just said, you're going to be pregnant. He could have just said, you're going to be pregnant, and it's to fulfill Old Testament promises. But he says, also, God is already at work right now. Your relative Elizabeth, they said she was as old as dead, right? She can't have a baby, and she's pregnant. And what he does is he uses God's current activity in the world to bolster Mary's faith. You need to develop a space where you're paying attention to what God is doing now. We believe in everything in that book, and we, we know that God will bring the promises to fruition, but God is active now. Do you know that? Have you seen that in your life? God is at work now, and he doesn't intend for you to just disregard all the things he's doing. These are for you to know that he is moving, and he who has promised is faithful. God is at work now. And it's helpful to acknowledge that. It doesn't say that she says thank you for this, but it's helpful to go beyond knowing what God is doing and seeing what God is doing to thanking him for what he's doing. There's an extra step that happens when you express gratitude. And we'll talk about this in the first of the year. I'm kind of plotting out something in the first of the year, but something I want to say is there's a, a, a temptation in our culture to be offended and to embrace cynicism, and I know because I'm guilty of it. And yet thankfulness breaks the power of offense, it breaks the power of cynicism, it breaks the critical spirit that we can actually receive what God offers. It's important for us to be thankful for what God is doing now. Even though we don't see certain things we want, we're thankful for what we do see, and it brings peace in our circumstances. Third thing, and I'll wrap up with this. Be obedient to what you know God has said already. 
Be obedient to what you know God has said already. Verse 38 says, in response to all this, she says, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. In response to all that has been said, she says, okay. And in humble obedience, she says, let it, let it happen to me. I'm, I'm okay with this. So often, if you're like me, maybe you're not like me, we go, okay, God, I understand that that's what you want, but tell me why you want it, right? How many of you have little kids, like above two, maybe four, when they start going, why? Go do this. Why? Don't we do that with God, though? God says, go do this thing, and you're like, yeah, but why? And we want to analyze to understanding all the things God has asked us to do before we move. And sometimes God says, just do it, and you'll discover why on the way. Sometimes you don't ever discover why. But here's the problem with asking why and trying to force and analyze and understand before we do anything, is you're building the whole thing on your own understanding. And yet the Bible says, lean not on what? So maybe peace comes when whenever we don't try to analyze and figure it out, but we just do what God says. If we want peace in circumstances that's not going to be rocked by, you know, unfortunate things, we're just responsive to what God has said. And some of us are like, yeah, but I don't know what God has said to me. Or I'm not sure what, what God is, is desire is for me. Well, I would bet most of us know God has said something. John Wimber used to say, old orders are good orders. Till you know what the new orders are, keep rocking on the old orders. If you know what God has said to you, keep doing that till he says something else. It's just obedience to what you already have been given. So it's anchor yourself in the promises of Scripture. Thank God for what you know he's done. Be obedient to what you know he said. All of these things are things that God has already done and said. Peace is based in the fact that God is who he says he is and he'll do what he says he'll do. And so the question, or the way that I sort of want to finish this off is, you know, there's lots of things, and we talked about this in the series that we've just finished. There are lots of things that set followers of Jesus apart, right? We move in miraculous things, we do all this other stuff. But one of the big things is we have peace when the world is in chaos, and we have peace because it comes from a God who is the giver of peace, from the Prince of Peace. Can you imagine what this community would look like if we weren't rocked by every little thing? But we knew in the face of all the things that God is the giver of peace, that we had peace on tap, that when the world goes crazy, when everything gets a mess, right? Like it seems like it's forever political election season. I don't know how we go through an election and like the season never stops, right? There's all the time politics. What if we were people that weren't buffeted by politics? What if we were people who stood on peace knowing it doesn't matter who gets elected. Jesus is still the king. We've seen the end of the story. Can you imagine what would happen in this community if we were people who always lived with a, a peace that was beyond understanding? They'd want to know what's going on, wouldn't they? Why aren't you freaked out when everybody else is freaked out? It's because we got Jesus. We have a God who's faithful. We have a God who's made promises and his promises are good. 
and we don't have to be buffeted like the rest of the world. I think Ed changed the world, don't you? Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast. We're so excited to see how God will release his kingdom in and through you today for the glory of Jesus Christ. With this, be blessed, and we'll see you next time.